It's the issue and the approach, not yeah. the actual calorie deficit or the diet yes. itself. So that's taking an unsustainable approach yeah. to something that you want to sustain. So if someone's coming to you, like I work with competitor, a lot of competitors, so it's not sustainable. It's, it's a means to an end. We have 12 or 16 weeks and we're trying to get to a show date. But when I work with lifestyle clients, this is about making this a lifestyle. And that's why whenever I talk about the high energy flux model that I use, I always term it as the high flux lifestyle. And with that, a lot of people are what I call weekday dieters. And we even see this in the literature. And so a weekday dieter, someone, they're on their shit Monday through Friday, or a lot of times they undereat. I, I especially find that with females, they'll undereat, they'll be busy, they'll be stressed with work, and it kind of just gets away from them. So instead of nailing their calories, they almost accumulate like this increase in appetite because they've been overly restrictive all week. Now, what happens when the weekend is here, you have unlimited time, you have, you know, you're bored. We know that these increase your you know, food seeking behaviors. Now you have hyperplatable foods, which are going to increase your passive overconsumption. And now what went from, you know, you wanted to treat yourself because you've had a hard week at work and you want to have a cookie, a cookie comes into a platter. You know, you go to cheesecake factory for one piece of cheesecake, you eat the whole thing. You know what I mean? So that's where in their mind, they're psychologically in a deficit. Cause think about it all week, Monday through Friday, the vast majority of their week, they're in a calorie deficit and they feel both mentally restricted and restrained. And that's what I always refer to as the restriction-based mindset. And -hmm. what I really try to get across with this high energy flux lifestyle is being in an abundance-based mindset. And what I mean by that is abundance in terms of looking at yourself almost like an athlete. So when it comes to high energy flux, you know, what I really try to get across to people, when I describe it in like layman's terms, I always say that you know, I want you to think about putting more energy into the system and pulling more energy out through movement. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Women podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can eat more, train less, and lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and Saturated, creator of pro-metabolic food supplements and seriously saturated skincare. And today I'm joined by two very handsome men, obviously I'm biased, uh, Craig, co-founder of New Strength and Brandon DeCruz. Hasn't he just got the coolest name? So Brandon has been a coach and competitor for almost a decade. And ladies, he is single because everyone asked me before I got him on the podcast. So I just thought I'd put that out there in the beginning. Um, But in all seriousness, he is actually a really nice and super, super knowledgeable guy. Um, And I wanted to bring him on the podcast to talk about the concept of NEAT and what it is and why daily movement and walking is so important when it comes to fat loss and just overall better health. So in this podcast, we talk about um, energy expenditure and exercise and why it's important when it comes to sustainable body recomposition. What actually is neat? What are the health benefits of walking and movement? And how many steps should you be aiming for per day? Why weekday dieting doesn't work? Why restrictive diets fail? Why it's not just calories in versus calories out? How and why food quality matters? What are the best ways to track movement? And just understanding the time it takes to actually achieve sustainable body composition change. So grab a pen and paper because this episode is just packed with so much amazing um, information and I'm sure you will love it. And as always, please rate and review the podcast episode. So if you've rated and reviewed us in the past, you can do it as many times as you like. And 
for your chance to win a tub of Saturate Premium Collagen, all you need to do is take a screenshot um, of the review or the episode and share it on Instagram stories with your biggest takeaways and tag me at K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-E-L-D. Um, and then each month I pick someone who shared and they'll win that tub of Saturate Premium Collagen. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get into it. Uh, hi, Brandon. Welcome to the podcast. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. I'm glad that we are uh, finally able to uh, get together and have this conversation. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, us too. And look, I just want to say before we get started that you are a really good looking dude. I think even more good looking in Zoom than you are on Instagram. And he, ladies, he just told us that he was single. So I know that's going to make <laughs> everyone happy. He's 30. So I just had to get that out there. Um, well, but look, well, and I'm no I appreciate Craig that. Be, <laughs> Craig now I have an international Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> But he's also, he's good looking, but he's also really super. He's in New York. It's not a far flight, but it might be worth it. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Just give it a crack. (laughs) So uh, we wanted to uh, get uh, Brandon on the podcast today. And I'll just, to to give you a bit of a background, Brandon, like typically the women that we work with, they're in their 40s and 50s, 30s, 40s, 50s. You know, they've done a lot of stupid dieting like me. They have a hormonal imbalances and digest, just poor health, basically. And, you know, they're wanting to get healthy and, and change their body composition. And one thing that we find a lot with the women that we work with, not all of them, but one thing we get them to track is their movement, is their steps. And we try and encourage them, you know, to get out and get movement and get sun. Um, and a lot of them are really, when they start to track their movement, daily movement, they're really, really inactive. And one thing that I like that you talk about, there's many things that you talk about that I love, um, but is this high energy flux state and encouraging, like where we, we encourage our clients, we want them to eat more, you know, not eat 1200 calories, eat more, eat nutrient, more nutrient dense foods, get out and strength train you, get out and move more. And I think there's so many benefits to that. Um, not only when it comes to fat loss, but to health. So I just thought we'd get you on the podcast today. And I know you like talking about this. So I guess I don't even sure where you want to start, just start. And then I'll sort of interject with questions as I sort of think about them. Yeah. So you know what, let's start at like how I got into this. So I'll explain what energy flux is. And then I'll, I'll give you guys a little bit of background, especially for your audience that might not be familiar with the, the actual term in and of itself. And then I could, uh, little, do a little bit of elaboration on it, but mm-hmm. energy flux essentially refers to our state of energy turnover in the body. And so basically this concept is encapsulating the relationship between the amount of energy that we put into the system in terms of eating more food and then how we're pulling more energy out of the system. So it, it really is the relationship between what we consume in terms of energy and then how much we expend in energy. But this is not just through like intentional forms of exercise. So I really want to start that with that caveat. This is all types of movement, all physical activity. And that's where you having your clients track their movement. It's, it's huge. And a lot of people, they underestimate the value of meat or just general physical activity. And I, I often, you know, call, I work with a lot of athletes, you know, I work with everyone from, you know, your lifestyle, Lisa, like your house mom to your IFBB pro that has been on the Olympia level stage. So I have, you know, a wide gambit of, Um, clientele that I've worked with over the past nine years that I've been coaching. But within that, I often get people that come to me and they're what I call the active couch potato. And what I mean by that is like, they smash themselves in the gym. I'm sure you guys can relate to this. And I'll I'll take it from a female perspective because I've worked with a lot of female, um, you know, competitors. And then I've also worked with a lot of female lifestyle clients. And those, they're the individuals that they're doing hit classes. They're smashing themselves on the Stairmaster. Um, They're really putting their full intention into that one hour 
in the gym that they spend. However, the rest of the day they're compensating and they're compensating in terms of they're sitting more, they're slouching more. They're even like subconsciously down-regulating their energy expenditure. And they're so focused on that one hour in the gym throughout the day that they're not considering the fact that let's think about the average person. We might be active in the gym. I'll tell you what my clients do. Generally, I have clients work out anywhere from three to six days per week, one hour per day. And then let's say they have a perfect sleep routine like we do, and they sleep eight hours per day, which we know most of our clientele don't do. So say it's perfect. That is nine hours out of the day that has been taken up. That's another 15 hours out of the day that we have the opportunity to be active and to expend calories and to stay leaner and to be able to eat more food as a result of you know essentially expending more energy. However, a lot of people, they focus so heavily on that one hour of the day that they neglect that, those other 15 hours. So really how I got into this was I've always had you know, a really big passion or a really big interest more so in what it takes to maintain a lean, healthy physique. And that really comes from the fact that um, I've been both a competitor and then also a coach you know, for close to 10 years. However, when I got into coaching, I started noticing that there were so many people coming to me who like your, your clientele that I'm sure you could relate to, or the ladies that are listening to this, they had lost fat in the past, but had regained pretty much everything they had lost. And usually they had gained even more within just a few months of finishing that diet. And the issue is this, is that they not only lost the results that they had worked so hard for, but it was a result of these experiences and a lot of misinformation that we see on the internet, especially around like metabolism and metabolic adaptation, which I know is a topic that you guys want to cover in a future podcast. You know, I found that these individuals, especially my females, had these false impressions about what had happened. They thought their metabolism was damaged or broken. Um, They thought there was something, you know, wrong with them, especially physiologically. And then also the the one that's my favorite is where people come to me and they tell me that diets don't work. Mm -hmm. And I really think this comes from the fact that we have this highly quoted statistic that 95% of diets fail. So people hear that it's sexy. It's easy to say, you know, and, and people really take that. And they don't take it with a grain of salt, nor do they look into the actual literature that comes behind that. And it's something that's said so commonly that people really are led to believe that it's 95% of diets. Like if you go on a diet, 95% of the time, it's going to fail. Yet if you actually look at the data, like I, I encourage anyone out there to look at the research data on weight loss success, it's not that diets fail. We know that deficits work. In any weight loss trial, you're going to see you know, a regression of means, but the average person is going to have lost body fat is going to have lost body weight. So it's not that diets that 95% of diets fail. It's that people are unable to maintain it. And so when we actually look at the statistic, it's Can I just ask you just a question on that just a little bit, because I know the women have been listening to this. And just from my own experience, I I like what you're saying is that yes, obviously you eat in a calorie deficit, you lose body fat. And I think so many of these diets, they drastically cut calories, like too low and cut carbs. And then, yeah, the women lose body fat, but then they, like, this is what would happen to me as an example. I'd be good for a few weeks and eat the 1200 calories, lose weight, lose weight. Then I'd just fall off the wagon because I would just be like so hungry and I would not be sleeping and I'd have these massive cravings. And then I'd eat like a whole large Domino's pizza and a packet of corn chips and so my calorie, like, yes, it was 1,200 calories during the week, but then because I ate like 10,000 calories in the weekend, it meant that I was not in a calorie deficit anymore. And then I'd be like, oh, this doesn't really lose, this doesn't work. Obviously it works, but it's never sustainable, right? Like it's not a no, sustainable so, so approach. More, it's the issue in the approach, not yeah. the actual calorie deficit or the diet yes. itself. So that's taking an unsustainable 
approach yeah. to something that you want to sustain. So if someone's coming to you, like I work with a lot of competitors, so it's not sustainable. It's, it's a means to an end. We have 12 or 16 weeks and we're trying to get to a show date. But when I work with lifestyle clients, this is about making this a lifestyle. And that's why whenever I talk about the high energy flux model that I use, I always term it as the high flux lifestyle. And with that, a lot of people are what I call weekday dieters. And we even see this in the literature. And so a weekday dieter, someone, they're on their shit Monday through Friday, or a lot of times they undereat. I, I especially find that with females, they'll undereat, they'll be busy, they'll be stressed with work, and it kind of just gets away from them. So instead of nailing their calories, they almost accumulate like this increase in appetite because they've been overly restrictive all week. Now, what happens when the weekend is here? You have unlimited time. You have, you know, you're bored. We know that these increase your you know, food seeking behaviors. Now you have hyperplatable foods, which are going to increase your passive overconsumption. And now what went from, you know, you wanted to treat yourself because you've had a hard week at work and you want to have a cookie, a cookie comes into a platter. You know, you go to cheesecake factory for one piece of cheesecake, you eat the whole thing. You know what I mean? So that's where in their mind, they're psychologically in a deficit. Cause think about it all week, Monday through Friday, the vast majority of their week, they're in a calorie deficit and they feel both mentally restricted and restrained. And that's what I always refer to as the restriction-based mindset. And -hmm. what I really try to get across with this high energy flux lifestyle is being in an abundance-based mindset. And what I mean by that is abundance in terms of looking at yourself almost like an athlete. So when it comes to high energy flux, you know, what I really try to get across to people, when I describe it in like layman's terms, I always say that you know, I want you to think about putting more energy into the system and pulling more energy out through movement. And I even simplify that even further so people understand it as we're going to eat more and move more with an emphasis on the fact that we're going to move more because this isn't about, you know, just exercising more because I find that that leads to a lot of compensatory behavior. So I'll have someone, you know, females or even males alike where they'll do, they'll be chasing calories for cheesecake or for cheeseburgers mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, their, their uh, tasty treat of choices. And so what they do is they try to compensate by doing higher intensity activities. And then they compensate not only in terms of their energy intake, in terms of what they eat for the rest of the day, but they're also sitting more, they're relaxing more, they're slouching more, their mm-hmm. subconscious activities, like their neat levels that they're not even noticing. They're sitting more than they're standing. They're not getting up as, as frequently. They're not doing things around the house or they're not, you know, instead of, going to the grocery store every day, they're going in one bulk shopping, you know, you know, spree and they're going for getting two weeks worth of stuff. And they're really trying to, you know, it's our body, it's an adaptive system. So when you feed your body less, it's going to downregulate everything, both your activity, but also your energy expenditure. So I always try to make it apparent that this approach isn't about cranking up a client's training volume or spending multiple hours on a step mill. It's about getting you to incorporate movement into your lifestyle, to be more active throughout the course of the day. And I find this especially important with female clients. So like you were just mentioning about your clientele, you know, I too have a lot of women that come to me that have a history of chronic dieting and they've been going through these cycles for years. It's, it's amazing. I have on my clientele sheet when I have an intake, how many coaches have you worked with and approximately how many diets have you done? And we even have statistics in the States that by the time a woman reaches 30, they've generally engaged in up to 16 diets. Now imagine that. That is it, That's a lot. That's, that's yeah. incredible. And I also find like for an average, like I do a, an intake, but I also do every year I run my statistics on certain things that I track with clients. And I find with my average client, now this appeal, you know, applies to both males and females. They've been with 5.5 coaches essentially is the average. So about six coaches. So they've been through the ringer. They've tried a lot of methods, but they've been stuck in this 
you know, eat less, exercise more model, which has really caused them to have that, that yo-yo dieting perspective where they've lost weight, they've regained it. They've lost weight, they've regained it. And that's why we even see in those statistics that within a year of dieting, 50 to 70% of people who have lost weight will regain it back. Within two years, that statistic goes up to 85%. And then within three years of finishing a diet, 95% of individuals have regained all the weight that they lost back. And that's why we have that statistic that 95% of diets fail. But here's the thing. The caveat to that is that one third to two thirds of individuals that have lost weight will regain more than they ever lost in the first place. And that's where we have this post-diet rebound where people think that there's something wrong with them, that they crash their metabolism or they're downregulated. And we have to realize, and I, I think this is especially important for us coaches to understand and to really reiterate to our clients, we cannot separate psychology from physiology. Our body follows our brain. So if you think there's something wrong with you, you're going to manifest that. You're not only going to manifest that physically within terms of your metabolic health, but also in your actions. If you think there's something wrong with your metabolism or that you cannot lose weight on 1,200 calories, it's going to lead to discouragement and it's going, also going to impact your actions. You're no longer going to look at things like, I should you know, adhere to this diet because it can work for me. You're going to look at it as, as something like, you know, you know, this doesn't work for me. Why would I try? And you're going to have this defeatist attitude. And those are self-limiting beliefs that a lot of people don't talk about. You know, I, I studied physiology, but I also take a heavy consideration to the psychology because a lot of people come to us and it's not that they're physiologically damaged. They might have some issues that they're working through, but they also have some mental and, you know, psychological issues. And I'll tell you, I've had more people come to me with emotional issues around food than I've had with yeah. any other issues. Same. And, and that, so we I have think to consider that. Yeah, and that trauma, like a lot of the women we work with have got trauma that sometimes they need to, to work through. Can I ask you a question? And this Absolutely. Is, this is an example. Um, so, like, this is just a client that recently joined us um, and, you know, she made this post in our Facebook page. I think she's about 90 kilos. She's come in, you know, we've helped her set up the diet. She's tracking all her food. She's eating, like, 2,100 calories. She's doing her training, doing her steps every day. Um, two and a half weeks in or two weeks in, she's down 2.5 kilos. And she's like, I just can't believe this. You know, I'm down, I'm down 2.5 kilos eating all of this food. And uh, sorry, that's my dog. And, um, you know, before when I ate 1200 calories, I wasn't losing weight. And I think women have, like you said, they eat 1200 calories for so many days and then they go and have these epic binges. And it's like, when you actually track your food correctly and track your energy intake and get enough protein obviously she's still eating in a calorie deficit because she's losing body weight but like you said going back that they think that 1200 calories work but you know it's like women will say to me oh kitty they're 100 kilos and they're like i'm eating 1200 calories i'm like it's impossible it's impossible for you to be 100 kilos eating 1200 calories now, Kitty, let me reinforce that with some research for you. So this is one of my favorite studies, and I know it off the top of my head at this point. There was a study conducted in the 90s by Lickman. And what they did was they took males and females that thought they were metabolically resistant. They thought they were weight loss resistant, and they claimed to have been eating 1,200 calories per day. So they had them come into a metabolic ward. And for anyone out there that's not familiar with the metabolic ward, it's a chamber that essentially um, can measure to the precise, I mean, it's to between 1% and 5% of your total daily energy expenditure. So the amount of calories you burn per day, but that also, if you're maintaining your weight, that means that's what you're eating. That's your maintenance calories. So these females and males were saying that they could not lose weight for whatever it was, you know, whatever they did, 1200 calories didn't work. So what researchers told them was that they were going to know to the precise, you know, calorie, what they were eating. So to track it and to report back, and they came back into lab and when they measured them, the individuals had been under-reporting their calorie intake 
by 47%. So they were 47% off. And listen, then they asked them, what was your energy expenditure like? Or what was your physical activity? So what was your physical activity level? It's a PAL score, which we use on like a BMR adjustment. So when you're trying to find your maintenance calories, it's essentially your resting metabolic rate, you know, times your activity factor. And they overestimated their activity levels by 51%. So when it came out to the adjustment, they were over a thousand calories off what they were eating. So they're really, they thought they were eating 1200 and in their mind, they were dieting and they weren't losing weight. And they claimed that they either had a genetic predisposition towards not being able to lose weight. There was something metabolically wrong with them, or, you know, they had some, some issue and it was limiting them psychologically. So this is what the researchers did. They said, listen, we're going to put you on a um, weight loss program fit for your genotype, essentially for what issues you're dealing with. So now they, they trick their psychology. So there's a little bit of placebo effect in here, but they put them at 1600 calories and every person in that trial lost weight. And that's the thing. So energy flux, when I talk about this abundance mindset, you know, we have two states of energy flux. So you can be in a low state, you know, a low energy flux state. And this would be the average person that we have coming to us. It's they're eating 1200 calories a day and they're burning 1200 calories a day. So they're in this low flux state as you're maintaining your weight on a very low uh, intake, which is resulting in a low output. So realize our bodies are adapt, especially our metabolisms are adaptive and dynamic systems. They become what you feed them. So if you give them a very restricted intake, it's going to downregulate your expenditure. We know that through metabolic um, adaptation research. Whereas if you're in this high flux state, you're eating say 2,400 calories per day. And you can be maintaining your body weight and your body composition as you've upregulated your energy expenditure to burn 2,400 calories per day because now you've put more energy into the system. So that's where a lot of our clients, like I'll reverse diet clients often, and they'll say, I can't believe I'm eating this much food. And it's coming from different perspectives. It's because I've upregulated their energy expenditure. I've increased their energy flux. I've given them more nutrient-dense foods so they're fuller. You know, I'm using lower energy-density food sources. I've also helped with their hormonal restoration because now I'm making sure I'm dialing in their micronutrients. And, and now we're addressing some, you know, I have a lot of females that come to me with subclinical hypothyroidism and it's really just from a nutrient deficiency because so many people, their approach to dieting isn't only about calorie restriction, but it's also about nutrient restriction because they're not only in a calorie deficit, so they feel shitty, but they're also, they have such poor food choices because they see the, if it fits your macros of the world yeah. and this, that, and the other, and they want to eat things that are hyperplatable. And if you have the calorie budget for that, by all means, incorporate that in there in a small percentage. But if you don't, if you really have to diet on say 1600 calories to lose weight, you have a very small budget and you need to make sure that you're getting as many nutrients per calorie as possible. And that's where, you know, people fall into this trap where they're not eating, you know, quality food sources. And now they're suffering from nutrient deficiencies, which are downregulating their metabolism even more. So for instance, with thyroid, I constantly, you know, whenever I have an intake, I have people send me their food journal and it'll usually be a three-day log. And so I run that through multiple, multiple uh, algorithms I have. And then I'll also use chronometers. So if anyone out there wants to do this on themselves, run it through chronometer. And I often see, especially with females, they are you know, under consuming iodine, selenium, tyrosine, uh, zinc. These are all cofactors that are necessary for your thyroid hormone production. They're necessary to convert T4, which is your inactive thyroid into metabolically active T3. Then mm. on the back end of that, to add you know, more insult to injury, they have high stress levels. So they have really high reverse T3, which is docking to the thyroid receptor and blocking the actions of the little T3 that they have. And we even see in research studies that if you have a downregulated thyroid, so if you have a suppressed thyroid in terms of T3, it could account for up to 35% decrease in your resting metabolic rate. So that's substantial. You know, Your resting metabolic rate accounts for between 60 to 70% of the calories you burn per day. 
So just by shoring up some of these nutrient deficiencies, by increasing, you know, I'm increasing food into the system, I'm supplying them, I'm fueling the workload. So I always talk about energy flux. It's not just about movement. The first part of energy flux, and this is why I always state it like this, it's eat more. I want you to fuel your body. I also mm-hmm. want you to build your relationship, to better relationship with food. And I'll tell you, I've worked with over a thousand people at this point, and there are very few individuals. And I almost say it's, it's almost impossible to re- improve your relationship with food if you're over restricting yourself. So mm-hmm. with that, I'm adding more food into the system. I'm, I'm providing more fuel. I'm improving their relationship with food. So the likelihood of them binging is much less. And then also they're getting more nutrients. So they're upregulating their hormone production. They're upregulating their energy production and their neat levels are increasing. So they feel better. They look better. They perform better. And now they start losing weight and they think it's magic. And, and <laughs> it isn't, it isn't. Okay, but can I just, can sure I just, Go back to one thing you said. I just want you to I'm at home this point because I like what you said because, you know, there's some people that are like, it's just calories in, calories out. And then, you know, but I really like what you t- talk about and we talk about this too, that it's the nutrient quality of the foods. You know, so like we recommend people include certain foods that are like liver and oysters and good quality dairy and fruit. So you like say, yeah, they're addressing those nutrient deficiencies. So calories matter, right? But the nutrient, the food quality matters as well. And like, I like what you said about the budget too, you know, so if you're doing a fat loss phase and you're in a calorie deficit, you really want to make sure that every calorie counts, it's nutrient dense. So, you know, like you might eat an orange rather than orange juice because it's got more fiber. It's going to fill you up for exa- as an example, you know, so I really, I That's like that because it's example. both. Let's think about it because it is it is calories in, calories out. We cannot dispute the law of thermodynamics, but this is how I like to break it down to clientele because I have a lot of people that they look at food by numbers. And here's the thing, guys. I want everyone out here to hear this. We do not eat calories. We do not eat macros. We eat food and we have to think about the food matrix and the composition of the nutrients we take in. So yes, a calorie is equal to a calorie because it's a unit of energy. It's a unit of measurement. But one calorie from one food source is not equal to one calorie from another food source or food sources or sources of calories are not equal. So really when I try to get across to my clientele is these all matter. Let's not dispute, you know, it is about food quantity and it is about food quality. Let's not put one over the other, but here's the thing, your calories determine your body weight. So if your body weight goes up or or down, that's based on if you're in a positive energy balance or negative energy balance, or if you're at complete energy balance, that'd be maintenance. However, your food composition and the micronutrient intake within your diet um, comprises or accounts for how you feel when you're dieting or how you feel what you're eating. And then the macros are what determine your body composition. So are you utilizing a high protein? Are you leveraging protein to make sure you're building muscle or maintaining muscle? Are you, you know, leveraging carbohydrates to fuel the workload? And are you making sure that you have your essential fatty acids to help with hormone production and to help with the assimilation and absorption of fat soluble vitamins? So instead of looking, everyone wants to look at these things as these dichotomous things, dichotomous things like mm. what's more important, this or that. And they always look at these things in isolation. And what I really try to get to people is we can't look at nutrition. It, it's not paint by numbers. This isn't food by numbers. This is about a fully all encompassing method of approaching and optimizing your approach to your nutrition, your training, and your body composition outcomes. So really, I'm huge on food quality. It's not that we can't have some flexibility. But remember, when we talk about flexible dieting, if you actually look into literature um, on flexible dieting, it's about flexible restraint mindset. It is a mindset. It isn't a diet. So you could be if it fits your macros dieter and have a rigid restraint mindset. You could be so locked into the macros and only thinking about the calories that you're actually in more of a restricted manner than you would be eating a macro-based plan. 
So mm-hmm. it really is about balancing all these things. It's not that you can eat, if you have great food quality, it's not that you can eat an endless amount of food. It's that those foods that are less processed are going to be more satiating. It's going to provide you more micronutrients per bite. It's going to have a lower energy density. So really what that means is for for every gram of food, you're going to have less calories per gram. So you're going to be able to get more volume, more fiber, more micronutrients per gram. And these are micronutrient rich food sources that are going to allow you to adhere to the diet a lot better. So really with energy flux, like when I increase calories, it is through high quality sources first, but sometimes I build someone's intake so much that we can account within their budget that Mm. they have some fun foods, you know what I mean? And Mm. then it's, it's helping them physiologically because they're getting the calories they need to provide that fuel because it's all about fueling the workload. If you're someone, a lot of people come to me and they're like, oh, I want to hit more steps, but they're in a down-regulated state and they're over-restricting themselves calorically. The first thing, and that's why I always phrase it like this, it is eat more, move more. It's yeah. put fuel into the system and then expend that fuel. And so one cannot be, we cannot remove one from the other. These aren't independent variables. They're interdependent. Do you know what I liked that you said? And this is actually something when I met Craig and I was just being an idiot and just eating 1200 calories and cutting carbs. And, you know, he's like, he said to me, he's like, you've got to stop starving yourself and flogging yourself with cardio and start training and eating like an athlete. So, you know, like eating more, you know, getting more movement, actually learning how to lift and getting strong, getting nutrient dense food. He's like, if you want to look, because women say, I want to look toned and athletic. He's like, you've got to eat and train like a strength athlete, which is what I did. And I got into powerlifting and I, you know, ate all this food and carbs. I was like, oh my God, I'm like, my body's changing and I'm sleeping more and I've got more energy. And, you know, like I was excited about training, I think too, you know, like having that energy to to perform. And obviously I wanted to look better, of course, but it also became, I became more focused on performance, which was really exciting too, you know, and I really like what you're saying. It's trying to, that's what we try to do with our clients with women is try and get them to eat and train like athletes. You know, I love that you said that Kitty, um, because when I do presentations on energy flux, I actually do this compare and contrast model. And I had this um, PowerPoint slide that I put up and essentially what it looks like is I have both sides versus each other. Essentially you could be, cause remember you could say an energy balance, you can maintain your body weight and body composition using either a low flux model. So low calories and low expenditure or a high flux model with high calories and high expenditure. And how I compare and contrast that is in the low flux state, you're in a restriction based mindset, not only calorically, but generally, you know, psychologically as well, because you feel like you can't ever eat off plan. You can't ever bump up your calories. If you slip up and you have a cookie, it sticks to you. And also when you're in that restriction-based mindset, it's the typical eat less, exercise more approach. It's the crash diet approach. And the issue with this is that you'll eventually run out of runway with this method and won't be able to continue eating less and exercising more as you're going to continue adapting downwards and compensating, which is going to continue suppressing your total daily energy expenditure. And then on the other side of this model, I I compare and contrast the high flux model, which is what I term the abundance-based model. And that's the athlete's approach. And we all know people that they eat a ton of food and you always wonder how are they able to keep body composition like that? It's because they're extremely active. And this approach allows you to eat more, allows you to move more, allows you to burn more and you're maintaining on more. And most importantly, you're living more because think about it, Mm. you're able to go out and have a, an off plan meal. You're able to not worry about things as much psychologically. So you're not only in a better 
physiological state, but you're also in a better psychological state. So just like there's always those considerations because this really does come down to adherence. So if you have a client that has to stay at a female client that has to stay at the, the magic 1200 calories to maintain her body weight, how long is she going to be able to do that for? But if you can upregulate her expenditure, and I want to make this very clear, it's a titrated method, meaning I titrate calories over time and movement over time. It's never throwing, you know, a lot of coaches in this industry, they throw shit at the wall to see what sticks. So it's mm. like someone comes to you, they're doing 6,000 steps per day. All of a sudden it's 15,000 steps per day and they throw a thousand calories at them. It's never like that. It's always on an individual based method. I'm, I'm really big into the ideology of meeting clients where they're at. So where are you? If you're doing 7,000 steps per day, let's see if you could get 8,000 this week. Let's, yeah. let, let's make these low barriers of entry so that you could easily, you can get those daily wins, those mm. weekly wins, and we can build upon that and it's momentum. And also, especially with my female clients, I find a lot of them are scared of eating more because what has happened yeah. when they've eaten more, you know, this yourself, yeah. you've eaten more, but you've went off, you know, you said, I'm going to have a, a little sweets. I'm going to have 200 calories worth of ice cream, which we know is, you know, a, a cup size yeah. and you have a little bit and all of a sudden you fall off the bandwagon. So not only does that, you know, psychologically play with your mind, but it also, you see the, the regain, you see a couple pounds up on the scale weight the next day, you know, you have like all these markers, you're inflamed. You don't feel good. You're having maybe some GI issues. Like you mentioned, a lot of your clients deal with. And so now you had all these consequences. So you're scared to eat more. So that's, where taking a more individualized approach, especially with females and really making sure this is a titrated method where you walk them through the process. And, and this is literally like step-by-step. And I say that both figuratively and literally, because I'm increasing their steps. I'm increasing their food intake, but I'm doing so in a manner where it's comfortable for that individual. It's never, I tell you, Hey, you have to get this amount of steps. And a lot of people hear about, you know, hear me talk on a podcast and I'll I'll recite some research and I'm talking about what was validated in the research in terms of steps. Well, you have to realize I'm not going to discredit the the research study. I can't tell you that, you know, the Amish, for instance, I I often quote this, this Amish study uh, about high energy flux and how they've maintained such low levels of body fat and such a low level of uh, prevalence of obesity. And they did 15,000 steps per day on average. Like, I'm not telling you to do that. What I'm saying is this is a real world example of people that are living lean and having a lifestyle of abundance or eating high calories. Like the females mm-hmm. are eating over 2000 calories per day. The men are eating over 3,600 calories per day, doing no intentional exercise, but the males maintain 9.4% body fat, whereas the females maintain 25% body fat and they're lean and have great metabolic health. I just wanted to jump in quickly and share a little bit more about a new product that Satray has released, so Marine Collagen. Now, the reason we released this product is we just had a ton of requests from clients asking us to source a really pure and good quality marine collagen. So while we were going through this process and while it took us a long, quite a long time because Emma is absolutely anal about the quality of all our products, and it took us so long because we just realized that so many of the claims around the marine collagen, collagens and where they're sourced from are not actually true. So we found that a lot of them that said they were from, you know, Nor- Norway or around that those areas were actually sourced from waters around Asia and beyond. So we finally found um, and tested a great product that Emma was happy with, which is 100% from Norwegian and Icelandic waters. Um, So it is actually a type 1 collagen. So the type 1 uh, collagen is predominant in cells in the skin and connective tissue. 
And it also plays an important role in bones. So when taken orally um, and daily, the short chain collagen peptides and free amino acids in marine collagen support the organization and regulation of collagen fibers and the production of elastin fibers. So you don't have to take as much of this um, as the normal bovine collagen. So it's recommended about a tablespoon a day. So anywhere between six to um, 10 grams. So it's a smaller tub and you won't need to use as much. It does, well, Emma thinks it has a, a slight um, fishy smell, but I actually don't think it really smells at all like fish. So uh, Craig and I have been, um, since we've released it, we've been using it every morning in our coffee, just having a really heaped uh, tablespoon, and I don't think you can actually taste it at all. So, yeah, it's really exciting, um, you know, targeted at the skin. I'll be testing it this month and we'll report back. Um and I've been using it, obviously, alongside the new uh, Saturace skincare, and that will be back in stock. Well, I guess by the time that this podcast is released, it'll be back in stock or might be a day. So Wednesday, the 15th, the skincare will be back in stock. It was so popular that we um, we sold out when we f- released the first batch. So I'm going to drop a uh, link in the show notes and use discount code uh, KITTY, K-I-T-T-Y in capitals 05 to get 10% off the marine collagen and anything else um, or any of the other saturated products. Let's get back to the episode. So this is just an example, but I, I want everyone out there to realize that this model or this approach is all about being able to fit it to the individual. And it's just a principle. And, and I always say, that I don't believe in protocols. I believe in principles. And really for me, when we compare and contrast that low flux state and that high flux state, I'd personally much rather have that client in a higher flux state where they can handle more food and aren't in the state of constant restriction. As you know, I'll tell you my, my goal, whenever a client comes to me, I tell them this very, very frankly, especially if someone has, you know, some hesitation about eating more food, I, I tell them all the time, I'm like, listen, I want to get you in a position where you're able to eat the most amount possible while staying weight stable. And, and this is why I'm trying to transition them to that high flux model because over time, I'm able to get clients to handle more and more food while maintaining their body weight and body composition. And by providing them with more fuel, by putting more energy into the system, your body's able to expend more. So it's a, an incredibly adaptive system. When we talk about metabolic adaptation, a lot of people only focus on the weight loss literature. They don't talk about their weight regain or the overfeeding re- literature that shows that you upregulate your, uh, your basal metabolic rate when you overfeed or that you upregulate your meat levels when you put more energy into the system. So it's, it's completely adaptable. And I really like what you said there about, you know, meeting clients where you're at. And I think that's really important because a lot of the women like that I notice with women is they set these huge goals or like you say, they've been doing, you know, 2000 steps and then now they're trying to do 10,000 or they want to train five days a week. And when I talked to them, I was like, look, what can you commit to definitely commit to, to start with? And they're like, oh, I could do three days a week. I'm like, great, stick with three. Let's do that consistently for a few months you know, how many steps can you do? Okay. Like you said, I can do 5,000 and then they feel like they're winning, you know, and then you can, once you make it a habit, you can build on it. And I think too many women set these unrealistic expectations, like they go from zero to a hundred and then they're frustrated because it's, it's too much. So really, um, I like what you said about that. And like, it's not, it's not about everyone has to do 10,000 steps. Do you actually, you know, what's, what's interesting about this is we, so I've never really tracked my steps until we got an aura ring. So, and I've always, like I'm obviously since meeting Craig and he taught me how to lift and I got stronger and ate more and I got quite strong and I've built a lot of muscle. And then when we got these aura rings, I don't know, how long did we go? Did we get the aura rings? A year or something? Two years maybe? And uh, it was just interesting that without even trying, I naturally would do around 15,000 steps a day. Mm -hmm. Like I just, 
Yeah, I'm just an active person. Like Craig's like, you've just got a lot of energy, but I eat a lot of food. So well, I look feel- at your body composition and you feel yeah. good and you're yeah. active. And both of you guys are yeah. living lean. And mm-hmm. so we're walking testaments to this lifestyle. So I always tell people, listen, uh, my goal as a coach and as an educator is to bridge the gap between information and application. But where did that application start? It started with myself. So when mm-hmm. I talk about this high energy flux model, I've been doing this with myself since 2015. I started utilizing it with clients till 2016, but it's been a constant refinement. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, initially I did make the mistakes that all coaches do, where we thought that something worked for us. So we applied it to other people. So I started with 10,000 steps. And then I realized there was just like what we see with um, people being unable to sustain uh, you know, a harsh deficit, the same thing happened with steps. They would have one day that they would undershoot their steps and then overshoot it the next day to try to compensate. And then they were off the bandwagon because they were burnt out about it or they felt discouraged. And so it really is, you know, coaching, you know, a lot of people come to me and they ask me, what's the optimal this, you know, what's the optimal protocol or, and, and automatically I'm stopping them or what's the optimal program for this goal. And I always tell them, listen, there is, there, there could be an optimal, but really what's optimal is what's optimal for you, for your lifestyle and for your, constri- your what I call lifestyle constraints. What can you really adhere to? So really what we're trying to do is bridge the gap between what's optimal and what's practical and meet in the middle for that individual themselves. Mm. So what's optimal for one person isn't optimal for another based on their lifestyle. So, you know, especially with females, if, you know, women, at least the clients that I've worked with have much more responsibility. I don't want to offend any men out there because I work with some high level executives, but a lot of times women bear the burden of a lot of the household responsibilities. And we even see in like cortisol, salivary cortisol levels, they have higher cortisol secretion. We see in Mm. HIIT training there's, and it's, I always find it ironic. And this is one of the things that, I always come back to with my women that come to me from hit classes. And I love that they're active and they find something they're passionate about, but sometimes they're overdoing things, especially that are not conducive to their goals. So they want to lose weight, but they're smashing themselves with, with a hit class or a boot camp class. And then they're com- compensating the rest of the day. And we actually see in the literature that women have less of a conducive when they do head to head trials with men and women in hit training or sprint training, that women have a less favorable effect because they have more of an accumulation of both fatigue and cortisol. So it's like, you're kind of digging yourself even a deeper hole. And then it's, it's impacting everything else. If your primary role, like when I had females, especially moms, I love working with mothers because I was, I was raised, you know, just by my mother and, and she's the most important person to me. So I understand at least I could relate to that person being so important to the family household to be like the head figure. And when I had women come to me that tell me that they're having all these side effects from dieting and, you know, a lot of times they'll express to me that they want to be a better role model to their kids. And we know that women have a huge impact, especially when we see in literature that females, when they diet, especially when they're, they have a child, especially a, a, a girl, that it impacts those, you know, those girls later maturation later in life and their in, or their viewpoint on food as well. Because if you saw your mother always restricted and always in the state where they had this bad relationship with food and they, they always felt like they had low energy, it's not only impacting you. We always have to think about our actions about not only what is it doing to ourselves internally and externally, but what is it doing to our inner circle? You know, what is it doing to our family members and those that I love? And that's why I talk about this. This is a lifestyle. Uh, you know, it's, it is about improving body composition. It is about all these other effects. And, you know, we could go over a multitude of benefits it has, but really when it comes down to your audience, if you're the head of your household, if you bear the responsibilities, if you have children that you're raised, like that's your primary purpose, that's your primary focus. So let's like increase, you know, let's put more fuel into the system. So you're, you're able to not only have a better body composition, not only feel better, but be a better mother, have more activity, be able to take your kids out to the park. One of my, you know, one of my um, 
client check-in forms. One of the number one things I ask for on a weekly basis is list one positive thing you did this week, whether it be with your family or, or personally. And oftentimes the best feedback that I get are from parents. And it's because they've been able to take their kid out or they were able to do something with their child. They finally had a free meal. I just, one of my clients finally went on vacation for the first time in, in years. And the reason was, was that she was a former competitor and she had sustained some hormonal downregulations and things that really took a long time to restore her menstrual cycle. She had pretty much the female athlete triad uh, or what's now termed as relative energy deficiency. And so she had all these downregulations and it was the first time she's went on vacation. She's eaten food. It didn't stick to her. She felt great. You know what I mean? Like all these things, she was super active on her vacation. She was like, this is the first time that I wasn't like scared of what was going to happen. I was able to engage and really be in the moment with my daughter. And it was just those are the type of feedback that, you know, it's, it's more than just fitness. And that's why I always say, it's not just about what you do in the gym. It's also about what you do out of it, both physically, mentally, and, and in all your activities. If you have more energy because I've fed you more and you're more active, you're able to do more things, you're able to live life better. It's eat more, do more, be more. And look, let's like face it. Who doesn't want to eat more food? Like I fucking love food. I always say to Craig, like Absolutely. my goal is to be able to eat as much food as possible. <laughs> and stay in good shape and feel good and have good energy, you know, sleep well. Cause I'm like, I love food. I love eating, you know, every night I eat my ice cream and you know, drink orange juice and, you know, like this, I'm just obsessed at the moment with these sourdough muffins. So I have like sourdough muffins with Swiss cheese and egg for breakfast with like collagen and coffee. And it's just, you know, I just love food. Like, I just love food. And it is, is and, and, and I that's think- <laughs> honestly, that's the issue with our, our, I mean, at least my nation, because we're, we have an obesity epidemic. And so people we're in a hyperplatable environment. So if you don't have a good resilience, metabolic mm. resilience, if you don't have a good metabolic capacity, you're going to be more likely to suffer the metabolic consequences of overeating and then having, you know, an increased BMI and, inc- you know, all these uh, markers of metabolic syndrome. So increased blood pressure, increased blood glucose levels, increased uh, triglycerides. So you're suffering all these metabolic consequences. But if you just, I'm not saying if you just increase your movement, but there's a lot of ways that movement buffers these things. And there's so many benefits that, you know, high energy flux is going to help you more effectively lose fat. It's going to help with weight loss maintenance. You know, it's going to help with your adherence to a diet. And if you, you want to go to, into any of these subjects even further, we can, it's going to help with your meta, like metabolic benefits. And we could dive into each of those that fit your clientele best, but it has so many, you know, benefits that a lot of people overlook because they hear me say, move more, do more steps. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, it's just, it's just energy expenditure, just burning calories. And a lot of people overlook the other, it's a domino effect. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what's probably the next question I was going to ask you was, can you just sort of briefly talk about like, obviously saying move more helps with fat loss and blah, blah, blah. But what about the health benefits? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. well, first of all, it's it's going to help with fat loss. So we know that there's going to have multitude of benefits because fat loss is one of the number one uh, predictors for increase, you know, improving health markers. But when it comes from a metabolic benefit, like we're looking at things like improvements in blood glucose, because if you look at what movement does, it's increasing what's called GLUT4 translocation. So it's increasing your body's ability to assimilate glucose, so carbohydrates, without the need for insulin. So if you're someone that suffers from insulin resistance or you have, you know, high fasted blood glucose, it's going to help lower that because, uh, you know, an increase in activity allows for better insulin sensitivity and a better partitioning of your nutrients. And it's because just moving your muscles is going to activate those GLUT4 translocators. And that's why I'm big into, you know, post-meal walks 
And that's going to help with better blood sugar management because it causes a significant decrease in the area under the curve for both insulin elevation and duration. So now your body's secreting less, it has less blood glucose in the system. So now your pancreas is going to secrete less insulin. And it's not only going to secrete less, but it's also going to be elevated for a shorter period of time. So within that, you're getting a lot of metabolic benefits in terms of your, your blood glucose, your blood triglycerides. It's going to lower blood pressure. It's going to lower your resting heart rate. It's going to help increase your parasympathetic nervous system activity. It's going to help with hormonal levels, especially in terms of cortisol, because this is, you know, when I talk about movement and the reason that I phrase it as movement, because it is really just general movement, going on walks, you know, um, going on post-meal walks or just standing instead of sitting. These are easy practices that you can incorporate into your day. But this is one of the very few movement practices that not only increases energy expenditure, because all movement that you do or all physical activity you do is going to increase calorie burning, but it does so in a matter that actually lowers soreness. It acts as a method of active recovery. It doesn't create fatigue or increase stress hormone production. And we actually see that walking is the only type of physical activity that actually lowers cortisol. So they do, they've done clinical trials where they've put people in different settings. They've had them do different activities and they see, especially when it's out in nature, that we see a significant decrease in uh, cortisol um, secretions from people that are walking outside in nature. So just getting out in, in nature, you know, it's going to increase your mood. It's going to help with lowering stress levels. It's going to turn on that parasympathetic nervous system activation. And we're in a highly stressed environment. We're in a place like people are constantly overly stressed. They're chronically stressed. They're dealing with, you know, hormonal downregulations as a result of stress. You know, we even see in literature that like, some women will lose their menstrual cycle just due to their psychogenic dieters. So they go into a diet and just the stress of dieting in the initial phase there, they haven't hardly been a deficit. It hasn't been a long enough period of time to really suffer from metabolic adaptation, but they lose their menstrual cycle from the stress of dieting. So, you know, it has a multitude of benefits. Okay, cool. Just two more questions. I think before we finish up, um, um, what are the, is it, what, in your opinion, what are the best ways to track movement, like the different types of trackers? Can you talk about them, cost, you know, what you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. So mm. what I generally do, so it, it's not about what is best. It's, it's mm. what's feasible for the client. So like I said, it's always about meeting them where they're at. So really when it comes down to movement, um, what I'm looking for, yes, there's the aura ring. I have one on right now. I also have a mm -hmm. Fitbit on. I'm big fans of these tracking devices, but can a client afford that? And, and that's where it really comes down to the reason I use this instead of, I used to use calorie expenditure, honestly, uh, years ago. And then I looked mm -hmm. into the literature and saw how off these calorie expenditure, we even have meta analyses that show that the average calorie or the average activity tracker is between 28 and 93% off. They overestimate calories by 28 to 93%. So, I mean, just throw those out. Don't look at the calorie burn on your Fitbit or on your Aura. Look yeah. at the steps. And the reason for that is because they use accelerometer-based data, which accelerometers have been shown, and it's just a movement tracker. It's been shown to be a lot more accurate. But here's the thing. You guys can use a pedometer. You can use a Fitbit. You can use a Garmin watch. You could use your Apple iPhone. So you know, maybe actually, maybe app. a better question would be then, Let's talk about the high-end version. So if money's not an option, like what's the yeah. around the high-end? And then let's talk about what are the best options if you're a bit constrained by the old budget. So number one, I would go with Aura. Um, has, yeah. and, and, you know, it's, I've used all the, all the devices. The Aura, I've used the Loop. I've used the Apple Watch. All of them are, are pretty um, accurate, but the Aura has much better sleep data. So if we're going to invest in this, two or $300, let's get it for all it's worth. And really what, what these devices, Aura has a new update that I haven't looked into yet, but as of the last update that was that was um, released, there, it's really good for sleep duration and for step quality, but calories, we can't expect that. And HRV, it is accurate because it does use um, 
a pretty validated um, um, algorithm. However, it's also tracking that throughout the course of the night, where if you actually utilize an HRV device, it would only be a one-time point estimation. Mm. So that's the only thing with that. So Aura would be probably our best bet. But on the low end, you could get a $5 pedometer. And the reason I say that is because here's the thing. It's not about accuracy. It isn't about perfection. It's about progression. So here's the thing. Say that your, your iPhone or a pedometer that you get and you just put on your hip, say it's 50, 50 steps off. It doesn't matter because we're looking at the progression of that number. So if someone starts with me and they're using the same pedometer, now it's about standardizing things. So say that they're using a Fitbit or a pedometer, whatever it may be, and they're at 5,000 steps per day. All right, that is their baseline intake. Now we're going to titrate that up over time. So it doesn't matter the accuracy of that actual device. It matters that we track trends over time. And here's what I really like to give an example of. I had a client you know, a few months ago that had um, a scale that was off and we didn't realize it until one day in the morning, she went fasted after taking her, she, you know, some things weren't adding up in her scale weight and she was really frustrated by the scale. And I tried to explain to her, listen, we're not looking at daily fluctuations. We're looking at weekly, but in her mind, she was very close to where she had been in the previous, you know, fat loss phase that we had been in. And she looked and she was weighing in heavier. And so she went and got a, on a calibrated scale in the gym you know, about 10 minutes after weighing in at home. And she saw that the scale that she had at home was a pound and a half off. Now she, you know, wanted to go out and get a new scale because it was messing with her mind. That was just her psychology. But here's how I, I you know, kind of, um, you know, explain it to her. It doesn't matter that it's a pound and a half off because it's a pound and a half off today. That's Wednesday. It's a pound and a half off tomorrow. What we're looking at is tracking trends over time. So with the, the pedometer, with the Fitbit, with the aura ring, it doesn't matter if it's exact or not. It's that you're utilizing the same device in the same conditions. So are you wearing it the entirety of the day? If you're taking it off, you know, half the day on some days and then trying to track things, we're not standardizing things. So it's, you know, progress lies in the metrics you're tracking and how you're tracking. So standardize mm. things. If you guys can't in, or don't want to invest, there are knockoff Fitbits on Amazon that you guys can get for ten to twenty dollars. Yeah, I, I have a lot say, of clients. What's the cheapest? Like, and it would matter. Yeah, that's gonna wear it. It doesn't time. matter, and that's the greatest thing. There's such a low barrier of entry. Like, what I really try to get people to realize is that this is such an easy. It's such a simple thing to incorporate into your lifestyle because all you have to do is is get up and walk. Really, you have to get out your door and just it's it's the effort, really. But there's it's a very low effort barrier because it isn't something that you have to invest in. You don't need a gym membership. It's not something that you have to get and get ready. You could literally in your pajamas, get out the door, go for a morning walk. Like that's I really like having my clients start their day with a morning walk yes, to help, right. you know, yeah. regulate their, their circadian rhythm to get some sunlight exposure, some vitamin D, but also to get some movement and to start their day in an active way. And um now that was gonna lead on to the next question then. So Obviously, like you said, if if you get the tracker and you track a few days and you realize, okay, I'm only doing 3,000 steps a day, um, you know, obviously progress that gradually. What are some different mm -hmm. ways that you can increase your movement, if especially if you're busy? Okay. So really what I like to focus on is NEAT specifically. Mm -hmm. So NEAT is going to encompass all your daily physical activities mm -hmm. uh, besides your formal exercise or training sessions. And why I say that is because sometimes people are trying to increase energy flux by doing like a step mill or they're doing, you know, they're going to the gym and doing it. And here's the thing. If you want to use a treadmill desk or it's something that's really convenient and it fits your lifestyle by all means. But I've had a lot of clients come to me in the case where they were cardio buddies. You know what I mean? They were addicted to their, their cardio uh, routines and they were doing a lot in terms of their actual cardio duration, but they weren't doing anything the rest of the day. So like what I talked about with the active couch potato, they had very low knee, but very high, um, 
you know, work output in terms of their actual gym sessions. Mm-hmm. And the thing with need is it's the aspect of your total daily energy expenditure, which has the most variability and makes the biggest difference in to- terms of the total amount of calories you burn per day. Because we see that in, even in literature, that someone's neat levels of the same body composition, the same size, the same weight can vary up to 2000 calories per day. So you could have two individuals and just based on their physical, you know, their, their activities of daily living, they could be, you know, we could have someone maintain their body weight at 2000 calories per day, or we could have someone maintain their body weight at 4000 calories per day. So when it comes to increasing meat, really what I like to do is I had them get a step track or whatever it may be. Doesn't matter the model. I always tell them, listen, I'm not looking to break your budget with you investing into this thing. If you want to, by all means, if you want a better sleep tracker, I do prefer the aura. If you want, you know, an Apple watch so it could sync up with your, your iPhone, by all means. But when it comes down to it, I'm looking to have them track their baseline step count. So I know where they're starting at. And like I always say, I want to meet them where they're at. And from there, the first thing I do, so I want to make this clear. The first thing I do is increase calories. Um, because I'm not going to increase steps without increasing calories. But then from there, I'm looking at increasing movement through a variety of activities. And it really comes down to walking. And that's usually my my number one, because it's such a low barrier of entry for people to do. So like I mentioned, I'll have them start their day with a morning walk. You know, even if it's just a few minutes, all they can allocate is five to 10 minutes. And then let's say, you know, we have a busy, a busy mom, or we have a a woman that's a businesswoman and she's super, you know, time constrained. That's where we're going to look to incorporate physical activity throughout the course of the day. And the reason, the real reason why I love energy flux is you don't have to devote a specific amount of time to it. So here's the thing. A lot of times with cardio routines, it's like, I have to do an hour in the morning, hour, you know, post-workout. And that's going to be, it's, it's, first of all, it's a high barrier of entry because it's, it's a lot for someone to take on in terms of time constraints, but also it's going to be the first thing that they eliminate when they don't have time. But if I tell people, listen, every hour, I want you to get up for five minutes, you know, at your work break, you know, a lot of people are working from home, especially in the States at this point. So it's not as much of an issue, but when I started utilizing this, it was in an office scenario. So what I would have clients do is I would have them do something called exercise snacks. What I mean by that is, is think about in the office. Yeah, every hour someone's getting up for a snack. They're going to, you know, they're going to get a coffee. They're going to get a donut. Well, who's to say that you can't do the same thing? And and I've had people in very high level corporate positions where they felt like uncomfortable getting up. And what I would say is just go to, just walk to the the furthest bathroom away. So if you're in a, a high rise building, go to the furthest bathroom. It's going to take you five minutes. So even just five minutes every hour is going to increase your energy expenditure. And we even see that in research that show a benefit from incorporating exercise snacks into your day, both from an insulin sensitivity and a metabolic perspective. And this is another easy way to increase energy expenditure. And really what when I say exercise snack, because this is something that has only come into literature in the last couple of years, if you guys are not familiar with the term, it's the idea that during a work break, you do a few minutes of of you know, walking or even something like a few push-ups or a few squats mm-hmm. instead of getting a snack. So it's, it's distracting you from the, the unconscious eating and the mindless eating that a lot of people partake in throughout their workday. But the goal is to provide your body with a break and a small dose of physical activity. And it's going to break up your sedentary time. And not only is this going to help from a metabolic perspective and an energy perspective, like an energy expenditure perspective, but it also provides your brain with some endorphins, which are going to help improve cognition and mood. So a lot of times when I have busy office workers, you know, they find that they're able to perform better because they didn't just stay seated for eight hours of their workday. And Mm -hmm. so this has, you know, many benefits because it's going to break up your sedentary time. It's going to spread out your activity, which is going to limit fatigue and then also enhance recovery. And it's going to fit your schedule. And so that's the biggest thing. Like we even see, you know, there's research studies that have shown that even just doing a five minute walk break every hour has will increase energy expenditure by 132 calories over an eight hour workday. That's five minutes 
eight times, you know, and mm-hmm. over the course of a work week, that's 660 calories that you're burning more. So these mm-hmm. are easy ways for you to just get some movement in. And it's such a low barrier of entry, which anyone can incorporate. Mm, yeah, it's easy. It's super simple. And you do, you feel so much better. I know when I walk in the sun in the morning, I just feel better. Just, just feel it's the best way to start your day. Yeah. Um, Craig, do you have any questions you want to ask? Or do you think I've covered everything? Uh, I did. It, this question might be a podcast on its own, but <laughs> I'll throw it out there and we'll, we'll just we'll see how it goes. But no, I think um, all, all those points are absolutely amazing. And I think um, certainly from a coach's perspective, like when you're incorporating all of this, um, you know, one of the biggest things that I find is you know, when you ask enough questions of the client and understanding their goals, and a lot of time with with women that we're working with, it's it's you know, it's a it's a weight loss and fat loss goal. I want to lose ten to fifteen kilos, and because of their their previous history of doing extreme dieting and seeing a lot of quick weight loss and all those sort of things, getting into that buying into that model of a sustainable approach, and we know from you know literature, you know, anywhere between 0.51 percent of the body weight is generally sort of sustainable, maybe a little bit more depending on the body weight and that sort of thing. But the, the biggest question that generally comes up, and this is one I'll throw at you, is is um, getting the client to understand what their expectations are and matching that with the reality of what they're actually capable of doing. So they have this idea, I want to lose 15 kilos in X amount of time. And then you break down, it's just like, well, let's look at your life. You work, you're, you're a mum. Yeah, husband works away, you you do some night shifts maybe, you know, you've got all of these things that come against you that if you were single and you didn't have kids and you could kind of live and breathe like a Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the 70s and go and lay on the beach after you work out and all this and stuff, you would probably get there a little bit more efficiently, let's be honest. But here is the reality of your life. You've got all of these things working against you. Here are the things that I need from a coach in order to facilitate your goal but the time is going to take what it takes based off a model of roughly between 0.5 and 1% body weight, but that's not always going to be a linear process, right? There's no such thing as perfect. So how do you get them to buy in? And like I said, this is a, probably a podcast. Is like, this is a bit absolutely of a no. <laughs> but but how, do you, like, how do you kind of get them into buy in to just go, look, here are the metrics that we want to look at week to week. If we're ticking these boxes, the time will take what it takes. So here's the thing. So I, I, when I have someone come to me and they come with such a high goal, and I love that. I love that they have these high goals. But a lot of times, because of the wide base of clients that I have, they'll pick out a client of mine. So they'll pick out one of my IFBB pros, one of my yeah. female physique. I had this happen actually yesterday. So this is going to be ironic, and I'm sure she's going to hear the conversation. But this is how I went about it. I'll, I'll give you a personal scenario. So I had a female uh, client of mine that just started working with me about six weeks ago. She's in a body recomposition phase. Phenomenal progress. A mother of two, beautiful woman, honestly, she owns a fitness studio herself, but she wanted to offload the responsibilities because she was spinning her wheels. She was finding that despite being a professional in this field, she was doing stupid shit. And so she came to me and I dialed back in her program and I got her doing a lot less of the things. So we're talking big rocks. I had her focus more on the big rocks and less on the minutia because a lot of people, they get caught up in the minute details and they lose sight of the fundamentals because they're too advanced for that. And so she you know, she sent me a picture of one of uh, a, a bikini pro from the States, a very well-known pro and asked me what it would take for her to get there. Now, you know, I had to, you know, really break it down what this female does, because I, I know people within her camp, I know her coach, and I didn't give her the exact details, but I did um, essentially give her the 
I encompass what it takes to get there. So this is this female's, this is this female competitor's lifestyle. It's her career. It's her everything. She doesn't have children. She doesn't have other responsibilities besides appeasing her sponsors. And really what you see on, on Instagram, I've seen this female in person. She looks phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the same thing that my client's seeing on Instagram. She's seeing her best shots when she's a couple days post-show. And what I really tried to get across to her was that a, it's not realistic for her lifestyle. We have lifestyle constraints. And it's not that she couldn't get there. It's that would she be willing to sacrifice everything that she has going, a productive and successful business, beautiful children that she loves, you know, a husband, a great relationship to really um, isolate herself and really commit her full life to this? No. So that's the first thing. And the other thing is I really like bringing it back down to extrinsic and intrinsic goals because a lot of times I find that people get so focused. I really try to drive home the importance of being process oriented because a lot of people become results oriented. So Craig, you're, you're mentioning 15 kilos. So that's the person's goal. They want 15 kilograms. Well, what then? I, I, I often like you know, contextualizing. What then? Is that going to fix your problems? Is that going to make, you know, yes, you're going to feel more confident. But what happens after 15 kilos? Is that your end goal? Are we looking at something as this is the end destination? Or is this a highway that we're going to travel the long road? Because if that's the case, I always say this comment and sometimes it comes off wrong to people. So I, I, I will explain after, but I say, I don't care what you can do in 12 weeks. I don't give a fuck about that. I, you know, I'm not here for physique transformations. I don't need to post more, you know, 12 week transformations on my Instagram. I've been in this industry a long time. What I care about is lifestyle transformations. So what I'm trying to do is help someone grow and progress physically, physiologically, mentally, uh, uh, psychologically. I want them to develop in all aspects of their life. And if I'm working, especially with a mother, because this was the case I was in, I would never want to put, I believe as a coach, our first principle should be do no harm. The second thing is to help our clients to the best of our ability. And the third is to never step outside our scope of practice. And those are my three fundamentals, like the principles of being a effective and, and well, um, well-meaning coach. And with that, if I was to take her and put her into a contest prep, because that's what would have been necessary to attain this goal, it would have been counterproductive to all the other things that are important in her life. So when I have someone come to me and they give me their initial goals, I have a very extensive client intake form. And honestly, I do that for multiple reasons because I am very data oriented. I do like a lot of, you know, I'm very nuanced and my programs are very long and in depth, but also sometimes it turns someone off. And then I realize that's not the client for me. If you can't take the time to devote to really telling me, what is your why? What is your intrinsic? I want to know your intrinsic goals. Like, what is this going to make you feel internally? What things are you dealing with? Whether it be um, self-limiting beliefs, whether it be body image issues, what things are you trying to overcome? And do you think this is the solution? Because there is no quick fix. We're going to have to work on every other aspect of your lifestyle, not just your body composition. And yes, we can improve things by improving your body composition, but you know, I always say a healthy body is a responsive body. And I mean that in multiple capacities. When I improve someone's physiological health, their body responds better. But also when I improve their mental health and their psychological health, it does as well because they're more consistent. They're more adherent. They're more bought into the process. So it's it's a lifestyle transformation that I'm looking for. So I ask them for extrinsic goals and intrinsic goals. And if someone comes to me and it's all about looking like so-and-so, and it's all about just a scale weight, I'll, I'll have a conversation with them. And often, you know, if they're just driven on that, I won't take them on as a client, to be honest with you. I'm at the point, I don't need that type of business. And it's not that I would not want to help those people, but I've seen a lot of those people fail because they sign up for a coaching, they sign up for your minimum package and they get to their goal. And those are the recidiv- Those are the people that are in the 95 percenters. Those are the people that 
they, they took on a lifestyle that was unsustainable for them or they want results much quicker than they could come. And they're not a fan of my model of doing things slow, you know, mm-hmm. a slow approach that's going to be sustainable because they want these quick results. But then they're the same people that have went through the yo-yo dieting histories and have their, you know, it's the definition of insanity. You're doing the same thing. And often I have to bring them back and say, listen, if what you're doing has not worked up until this point, why do you continue putting yourself in that cycle, both physically? So you're doing, you know, harm to your body, but also to your mentality. You know, you're making these investments into yourself, both financially, time-wise, effort-wise. You're killing yourself for 12 weeks to get ready for, for summer. And then you're rebounding and you feel even worse about yourself. And every year it gets harder for you. And that's really, I hate seeing people in that position. So that's really where I have to bring it back down to being process-oriented. I want you to take this one day at a time. I don't want you to think too far in the future. It's great to have you know yourself locked into a goal. But what if that goal doesn't happen? And I say the same thing to my competitors. What if you don't win the show? Is it, was it all for nothing? Was this whole prep meaningless? No, you learned something about yourself. You push yourself to your limits and you became a better version of yourself, both as a person, as, you know, a physique, but remember we're more than just our body. So, you know, often people see like stuff I post, you know, modeling shots and things of that sort. I'd rather, you know, I hope later on in, in, when I exit this industry, I'm more known for my brains than I ever was for my body or any, you know, you know, the picture brings them in, it hooks them, but then it's the information. And that's why I really try to you know, I, I'm really big into uh, delivering as much value as possible. And I really try to instill that in my clientele. I believe an educated client is a compliant client. And so I educate them about the process. I also educate them about what will be needed to get to their goals. And sometimes it's not that I mean to scare them off in doing so, but I really let them know that sometimes their mindset is what's going to be the biggest limiting factor because if their expectations are too high, they're never going to be able to shoot for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily like that, you know, like, I, th- I always find our clients, the ones that love the process and love the lifestyle, look the best anyway, you know, because I, I come from that dieting hard and just training all the time. And now, like, I value, obviously, I like the way that I look, obviously, like, I like looking muscular, but I just love training. And I love continually trying to get stronger and improving my performances. And if I don't eat enough, I can't do that. So yes, it is about looking a certain way, but it's the enjoyment. Like, I really enjoy the process. And it's like, it's never going to end. You know, I'll be 80. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of this. Mm. That's the beauty. So really, I find the most successful clients are those that are willing to invest on the front end and we realize mm. I don't just want to see what you can do in 12 weeks. I want to see what you can do in 12 months. And I, every year I elongate my minimum commitment because I realize that I want to work with people that want to work long-term and want to be helped long-term. Mm. And it's not that I want them dependent on me by any means. What I, I mean by that is that I don't want quick fixes and I don't want this to be their 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 one quick fix solution. I really want them to look at this as a lifestyle. And that takes time. That takes weeks and months of us working together and me reinforcing things. And just like we were talking off air, but a lot of times I'll get on a podcast and I have to speak on the same topics because sometimes I don't come across, you know, it doesn't hit that person well. And, Mm. you know, I really have to say it in a different manner to get it across to how that person is going to absorb and assimilate information. The same thing happens with my clientele. It's a lot of times we're having the same conversations week after week, especially if someone does have some psychological limitations in terms of their mindset on something. They have a body image issue or they have re- food you know, issues with, with food, their relationship with food. And that's where this model is constantly evolving, how I've applied this to people. It, it's really been, hey, listen, I want you to tr- trust me on the front end. We're going to start small. We're going to start with something you're comfortable with. I'm going to mm-hmm. slowly increase your food, slowly titrate up your steps. You're not going to gain fat. Don't worry. And here's the thing. I know more, uh, more about fat loss physiology than I know about anything else. If you are to gain weight and you're uncomfortable, we can get it off. That's the easy thing. 
95% of diets don't fail because fat loss doesn't work. It, it fails because people don't sustain the habits that led them there. So yeah. really what we really see with this is that we need to buy in off the front. We work things, you know, client specific. And this isn't a model I use with all my clients. I do want to make that apparent. Sometimes it doesn't fit someone. It doesn't fit their lifestyle. They don't have the time or they don't have, you know, I have some guys that I built up their food so much. They're on 750, 800 grams of carbs. They're like, listen, man, I don't want to eat like this. I'm good, man. I, my, my grocery bills through the roof. We got to back them off. And I, I decrease steps and I get them in a, in a lower flux state, but I'm still looking at health metrics. I'm looking at their blood glucose. I'm looking at their HbA1c, their fasted insulin, their triglycerides on blood work. And as long as those stay in range, you know, we can take other methods. There's so many roads to the same destination. You just have to find one that fits you. Mm, awesome. Great answer. Um, any, anything else, Craig? No, that was good. That was fantastic. Um, that yep. was so good. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, and I'll drop uh, Brandon's details in the uh, show notes. You can contact him, follow him on Instagram. He posts awesome, um, awesome stuff. And I think we will get him on the podcast again to talk about metabolic adaption. Cause I think that's a, another good um, topic to talk about, but yeah, we've, we've been going for an hour and 20 so far. So um, no, it was good. So much great information. So thanks again, uh, Brandon, and we'll uh, chat with you soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, guys. Thanks for having me on.